Well, hey, um, I'm so glad to be with you today. Um, if you follow me on Facebook or on Instagram or any kind of social media, you know that Meg and I were able to get away and have a week of vacation this week. Um, and and it, was, it was needed. We got 30 hours to ourselves. We, we drove to my parents' house and we left the kids there. And then we kept on driving to Asheville and spent some time, just the two of us. Um, and and that was that was wonderful, but it was about 30 hours. And so uh, maybe you'll remember these days or maybe you've experienced these days where you are a parent and you get 30 hours with no children and you're like, we can sleep tomorrow. <laughs> We've got 30 hours and we're gonna jam as much in as we can. So we had a blast, it was a really good time. Um, but I'll tell you, we were driving back yesterday and driving through traffic and I, was just so excited to be back. I was so excited to be here today because of the message that I believe God has for us today. We're in week three of our series, Further Together. Now, if you weren't with us last week, let me give you a, a little bit of where we've been. Last week, or actually the last two weeks, we've talked about the two primary analogies that we see in scripture for the church. And so we talked about how in, in the Bible, the church is described as a building. The church is described as a building that is being built up together that we become, in the words of Paul, we become living stones. That these living stones are being built up together to form a building, and not just any building, a, a home for God, because by the power of the Holy Spirit, God lives in you. And so we talked about how the church is the people being built up together, growing together in unity to become a home for God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we talked last week, the second and kind of most common analogy we see for the church in the Bible is a body. And so a body, and, and, and I brought my, my friend Mr. McBones up on the stage, and, and uh, I don't know what happened to his head. He lost it. He lost his head last week. But... um. Brought my friend Mr. McBones up on the stage, and we talked about how the human body is is incredible. The human body is uh, is amazing. The human body is this intricate, beautifully designed system or collection of systems of interdependence. And so that means that one system is dependent upon another system, is dependent upon another system, is dependent upon another system, and your body cannot function healthy. Your body cannot function as it was designed to function if every system isn't working and fulfilling its role. And so think about the fact that Paul uses this analogy of a body to describe the church. He's saying that we are systems of interdependence. We rely on one another, which means I can't make it without you and you can't make it without me because I have to rely on you and you've got to rely on me. And together, we encourage each other to be healthier and better and to grow together so that we can be a body functioning as the Lord has designed us to function. And so that's where we've been these first two weeks of this series is talking about the church and these, these beautiful pictures in the Bible of what the church is. The church is a building being built up together with living stones, and the church is a body functioning together, each person fulfilling their designed role and fulfilling their purpose so that the whole body functions together. So we spent the first half of this series talking about what the church is like. 
But today, today we talk about what the church is for. Because God has a plan and a purpose for his church in the world. And this is what I want you to know. The church is the hope of mankind. Because God has chosen to use the church as his vessel, as his instrument, to bring the message of peace and hope and restoration and reconciliation to the world. Without the church, there is no one to carry the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world. And so the hope of the world is Jesus, but they're not going to hear about Jesus without the church. And so God has chosen for the church to be the hope of the world, to carry the message of the hope of the world. And so today, in part three of this series, and I hope y'all don't mind, um, can I preach today? Would, would that be all right? We moved this front row back about five feet today. Because I was going to get into it. Part three of Further Together. Therefore, go. Go. We got to be a church that is living and fulfilling God's purpose and plan for our life. And if we're going to do that, we have to be a people defined by going. And that's hard. That's hard. And it was about a year and a half ago, it was about 17, 18 months ago, that God really began to show something to me. Uh, I've said this before, I'm, I'm a natural skeptic. Faith does not come easy to me. Um, it's hard for me to believe in things. And so, can I just confess to you, church, that it has often been really difficult for me to digest the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I struggle with it. I struggle with it. Because I am a kid who grew up in a scientific world, and, and you grow up being taught these things in school, and then you read a text like the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and you hear these stories, and they're stories that you're told over and over again, but they sound unbelievable. And so I struggled for many, many, many years with what to do with the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And what I found is that about a year and a half ago, God kind of brought me back to this text, to these scriptures, to these first 11 chapters of Genesis, and I found myself over the course of weeks just studying over and over again this, this text. And so there's a story that is a weird story. It is an obscure story. It is a strange story. And I will be the first to admit it is a story that for the majority of my life, I have struggled to make any sense out of it whatsoever. There is a story in Genesis chapter 11 that you may be familiar with called the Tower of Babel. Anyone know the story? Let me give the Cliff's Notes version. Cliff's Notes version of the Tower of Babel. After Noah and the flood, all the people are together. They all share one language. 
They're all kind of one culture. They're all one people group. The next thing you know, a couple generations go by, they have more and more kids and more and more kids and more and more kids. And now that people group is getting larger and larger and larger and larger. And so their plan is, let's all stay together. Let's all stay together. Let's all stay huddled together. Let's all stay in familiarity. Let's all stay in comfort. Let's all stay in safety. We'll all stay together. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a giant city with a tower reaching into the heavens. And then we'll all be together and everything will be fine. And then God has a strange reaction in Genesis 11. God kind of goes, yeah, I don't like And then God basically goes, let me confuse their language. So now they're not all speaking the same language. And if you've ever been to a foreign country, you know that when you don't speak the language, it's really hard to communicate. And so what ends up happening is you kind of leave. You kind of get dispersed. Or maybe you're a typical American and you go to a foreign country and you just speak English louder. Okay? Do you know where the bathroom? You know, just screaming it louder. Somehow as if screaming English louder is going to make someone understand the foreign language you're speaking. On a side note, I moved to St. Augustine, Florida my senior year of high school, where the Florida School for the Deaf and Blind is located. I had never been around deaf people before. And so as much as I make fun of doing that for people with foreign language, it's even worse when you just talk louder to someone who's deaf. Guilty. So Jesus confuses, so God confuses their language. And now the people are speaking a bunch of different languages. And so it, it took me a long, long time. It took me until I was 35, almost 35, before I was able to make any sense out of the story at all. And then God brought me to a place in Genesis 11:4. And what he revealed to me in this verse is the thing that hangs not only at the beginning of Scripture, but it reveals something about the human condition that is true for all of us. And so because of my study of this text, I am more certain now than I've ever been before that the purpose of God in this world for his church is that we should go. Here's why. Number one, go because it will grow you. Go because it will grow you. And let me show you Genesis 11, 4 and show you what I'm talking about. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. I had always focused on the first half of this verse. But it was about a year and a half ago that God brought in highlighter yellow the end of this verse. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Think about this. People are all together. They share one language. They have familiarity. They have comfort. They have safety. And so their whole reason... Their 
whole desire to build a city and a big tower and to make a name for themselves, their whole impetus for this decision was that they didn't want to be scattered. They didn't want to have to leave. They didn't want to have to go. And yet, somehow, they knew instinctively that God's design, God's plan for them was for them to go. He, they knew that ultimately God's plan and purpose in the world is that they would go, that they would carry a message and they would leave the place where they were born so that they could bring that message to more people. And so they want to fight against the will of God. They're wanting to fight against the plan and the purpose of God. So they say, hey, we don't want to be dispersed over the whole earth. So let's build ourselves a kingdom right here. And so we learn something. We learn this, that the human condition, the human condition defaults to comfort, safety, familiarity, and convenience. The human condition defaults to comfort, safety, familiarity, and convenience. You will, left to your own devices, you will choose comfort. You will choose safety. You will choose familiarity. You will choose convenience. But comfort, safety, familiarity, and convenience are obstacles in the way of you reaching your divine purpose in this world. So if our default is comfort, safety, familiarity, and convenience, and God wants us to go to make an impact on the world for the name, for his name, and to build a kingdom for him and not for us, then God, in his goodness, and I want you to look at your own life when I'm saying this, God, in his goodness, is going to kick you out of comfort and safety and familiarity and convenience. So stop looking at your life and going, God, how could you? God, how could you possibly do that when all God is doing is going, don't you get it? Don't you get it? If I leave you alone, you're going to choose comfort, safety, familiarity, and convenience, and you're never going to step into your purpose in this world. God in his goodness for you is going to force you out of comfort, out of safety, out of familiarity, out of convenience. Why? Because he doesn't like you? Because he wants to be mean to you? No, because he wants you to fulfill your divine purpose. This is how I know. 11 4. Let's build, we'll have a giant tower, we'll make a name for ourselves so that we are not dispersed, so that we are not sent out. But what happens in verse 9? Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The people were all together choosing comfort, safety, convenience, familiarity, and God goes, not today! <laughs> If I have to confuse your language, if I have to do something shocking so that you experience your divine purpose in the world, that's what I will do. Why? Because God loves you and wants the best for you. Yeah. 
God loves you and wants the best for you. And since he loves you and wants the best for you, he will often force you into discomfort. He will often force you into the crazy circumstance. He will often force you out of familiarity and out of convenience. He will often force you into situations where you have to grow. Our default is safety, comfort, familiarity, and convenience. But, but, but God's desire for you, God's desire for you is movement and growth. God wants movement and growth for you. And hear this. And by the way, we're going to do something different in our, in our uh, sermon notes today. I, I've given you some blanks to fill in because I wanted to make sure you were really following along. Because there's going to be some stuff today that I want you to take home and track with. So here's what I need you to know. Growth and comfort cannot coexist. Growth and comfort cannot coexist. You can be comfortable, but you will not grow. You can grow, but growth will not be comfortable. And here's how I know this. Because believe it or not, I've gone to a gym a few times in my life. <laughs> and it is uncomfortable. Which is why I haven't grown. <laughs> Growth and comfort cannot coexist. And so I want to show you something else. So, so about a year and a half ago, God really kind of exploded Genesis 11 for me and showed me this in 4 and 9. And then I was able to kind of take this, this thread and I was able to kind of see how this thread gets it's woven through the whole fabric of Scripture. And so I want to show you the next place we see this really powerfully. This is Joshua chapter 1. This is Joshua chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Joshua was the servant to Moses. Moses is leading the people of, of Israel after their slavery in Egypt. And this is how Joshua 1 starts off. Moses, my servant, is dead. That's God speaking to Joshua. Now, therefore, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Track with me here. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon. So here's what's true about that. If I stay right here, God's given me all of this. But if I stay right here, that's all God will give me. Hold on. If I stay right here, maybe you guys didn't catch it. If I stay right here, God will give me the spot. But if I stay right here, that's all God will give me. Let me try it over here. Hold on. If I stay right here, God will give me this. But if I stay right here, this is all God will give me. So if I want to step in to more of God's promise, if I want to step into more of God's blessing, if I want to step into more of God's plan and purpose for my life, what do I have to do? 
I got to start walking and get some ground underneath my feet. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. What does that mean? It means I've got to go. I've got to go. And some of us, we're getting a little frustrated with God. We're getting a little frustrated with God because it seems like God's not answering our prayers. It seems like God's not coming through on his promise. And we're standing here still the whole time going, God, where's your promise? Where's your blessing? Where's your goodness? And God's going, move your feet. <laughs> got to step into it. got to step into it. He's already given you the ground. He has already given you the ground, but track with me here. You will only inherit what you inhabit. You will only inherit what you inhabit. You will only receive what you are willing to walk into. And walking into it is going to be uncomfortable. Walking into it is going to be unfamiliar. Walking into it very rarely will be safe. Walking into it will almost never be convenient. But if you want to experience God's very best in your life, if you want to experience God's blessing for your life, you got to start putting one foot in front of the other and start walking in to the new ground that he's already promised you. Because if you don't walk into it, if you don't walk into it, he's going to give you every place that the sole of your foot treads. So if you choose, if you, if you choose to stay right here because it's safe and it's comfortable and it's convenient and familiar, I'll give that to you. But that's all you will receive. Go, it will grow you. Number two, go, it's his plan for you. Go, it's his plan for you. And we know that because number one, Jesus commanded it. Just, just in case we were confused, because if you're anything like me, God's got to use a sledgehammer to get through to you. Amen. There are some people, Mom, I'll tell you, she's not here right now. So you know that I'm not doing this just to get some, 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 some get on her good side. My wife, has an unbelievable power of discernment. I mean, it's just something within her that the Spirit just speaks so clearly to her. And so we'll be praying about something, we'll be talking through something, we'll be kind of making plans, and she'll just, I mean, just a certainty. No, that's not what God has for us. And for me, I'm like, no, I think we should keep walking this way. Oh, why did, man, that hurt. Let's keep going this way. Oh, that hurt. God has to go, Rob, let me get the sledgehammer out, you dummy. And so just to make it abundantly clear, Jesus just flat out commands it. Just flat out commands it. Matthew 28, 19. Go! Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Go, 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 
This is Jesus. This is Jesus right at the close. I mean, this is after the resurrection. This is kind of the close of his earthly ministry. This is right before the ascension. He's going to go up to heaven. He's not going to see his disciples again until they die. And what's the thing he leaves them with? Go! Go! In Acts chapter 1, it gets even crazier. Because he doesn't just say go. He goes, so you're going to be my, you're going to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and where? To the ends of the world. Jesus is going, just in case you were confused, I want you to go until you hit the end of the world. And here's the cool thing. The earth is round. <laughs> so, so what do we take away from that? We don't ever stop going. We don't ever stop going. Hey, I've been here before. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Man, that place, didn't we just keep going? Keep going. To the end of the earth. To the uttermost parts of the earth. It's Jesus saying, go. And don't you ever stop going. Jesus commanded it. But, but this is, I think, the bigger imperative for us. Jesus modeled it. Jesus modeled it. He didn't just command it. He didn't just say, hey, hey, I want you guys to go because I'm not going anywhere. It's not, it's not Jesus saying, hey, I'm commanding you to do something that I'm unwilling to do. Jesus is going, actually, I command you to do it because I did it first. I want to look at two places in John's gospel where we see this. This is chapter 3 and chapter 20. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So what does that mean? It means God sent his son. God the Father said to Christ the Son, Go! That the world might be saved. And then listen to what Jesus says to the disciples in John 20. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. The Father says to the Son, go, and the Son says to his church, go, go. Because I showed you how. Because I showed you how. It's Jesus saying, go. I'm sending you in the same way I was sent. Go in the same way that I went. It's Jesus saying, follow after my footsteps to the ends of the earth. I think it's easy for us in this setting to talk about ends of the earth, and if I was a better preacher, then I would stop here and I would tell you all about the mission strategy for the church and our partnership with Port-au-Prince Haiti and how we've got a trip coming up. If you're interested more, you can talk to Tim Campbell in the back, tell you about our church planting partnership with Edmonton, Alberta, which is the northernmost city of more than a million people in North America. They're planting churches there. It's one of the darkest cities in North America. They're planting churches there and we're a part of that. 
We're going we're to collect an offering on Easter Sunday, and that money is going to help church plants in Edmonton, Alberta. I can tell you about how we gather together every year, and through the help of Samaritan's Purse, we, we gather together and collect shoeboxes full of toys and goodies for Operation Christmas Child. Anita Brady can tell you more about that. She is passionate about it. I can tell you about all of those things. I can tell you about going to the ends of the earth. But here's the reality for us. The end of the earth for you may not be Haiti, Canada, or India, or Africa, or Asia. For you, the end of the earth might be going home, carrying the message of the gospel to a non-believing spouse. For you, to the ends of the earth might be going home today and inviting that neighbor over who you've lived next door to for a decade and inviting them over for dinner so that for the first time you tell someone who you see every day about a Jesus who loves them about a Jesus who made a way where there was no way so that they come to a new life in Jesus Christ for you the ends of the earth might mean walking into school on Monday. And being unashamed. Being willing to be uncomfortable, unfamiliar, convenienced, so that your classmates can learn about Jesus Christ who saved you. No matter what the administration of the school has to say. For you, it may mean going into work on Tuesday and having a conversation with a co-worker. Saying, I'm not willing to let another day go by knowing that I'm carrying a message of hope and you have none. We're still going to go to Edmonton. We're still going to go to Haiti. We're still going to go to the ends of the earth. But I don't want you to miss the end of the earth that God is calling you to. Because you're going to default to comfort, safety, and familiarity, convenience. I want you to imagine how inconvenient it was, how unfamiliar it was, how unsafe it was, how uncomfortable it was. For God himself to step out of the perfection of heaven and step down into the middle of our mess and suffer a death on a cross, humiliated, spat upon. <coughs> he looks at us, his church, and says, As I was sent, I'm sending. I want to close here today. Third reason for us to go, go, go. It's reasonable from you. Go. It's reasonable from you. What do I mean by that? 
Why is it reasonable? Why is it, how could it possibly be reasonable for us as human beings to choose discomfort, to choose inconvenience, to choose potential danger, to choose the unfamiliar? How is that reasonable for us? We follow that thread to Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Isaiah died, I want to stop here for just a second. Isaiah is a prophet of God for the people of Israel. And King Uzziah was a, a good king in some respects. He was not incredibly faithful to God, but the people of Israel were prosperous under his reign. So during the period of time between Solomon and the fall, of Israel, King Uzziah had the most peaceful, most profitable, most prosperous reign of any of the kings of Israel. Things were good. Things were comfortable. Things were safe and convenient and familiar. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Here am I. Send me. Isaiah was a prophet of Israel. From a family of prophets, he was a minor celebrity in Israel, living in a time of great comfort, living in a time of peace, living in a time of prosperity. And all of that changes for him when he has an encounter with God. And when he has an encounter with God, things are changed. When he has an encounter with God, things are different. And so I want to follow kind of the through line of this encounter. 
because I think it will reveal something about us. An encounter with Christ reveals us. When we truly encounter the risen Jesus Christ, when we truly have an encounter with him, when he truly steps into our hearts and into our lives, things are different because an encounter with Christ reveals us. You see, Isaiah was walking through his life. Things were comfortable. He was happy. There was familiarity and safety. And he sees God. And when he sees the Lord high and exalted, he goes, whoa, is me. I'm lost. I'm done for. Because when we truly encounter God, what do we recognize? We recognize our unholiness, our unrighteousness, our unworthiness. When we truly encounter God, we see in stark contrast the difference between God and us. An encounter with Christ reveals us, but it doesn't stop there. An encounter with Christ heals us. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. An encounter with Christ reveals us, but an encounter with Christ heals us. And then it goes further. An encounter with Christ attunes us. Attune is a strange word. Attune means that it makes you able to receive. It makes you able to receive. And so I want you to track with me something that we see in, in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, is that after his sin is atoned for, he goes, woe is me, I've seen the king, I'm done for. And then the angel comes down and says, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. And after his guilt is gone and his sin is atoned for, what happens? What's the next thing that happens? And I heard the voice of the Lord. Because when we've been revealed and when we've been healed, we begin to hear. We begin to hear from the Lord. And I heard the voice of the Lord. And this is what happens. An encounter with Christ sends us. Isaiah could no longer choose comfort, familiarity, safety, and convenience. He couldn't do it any longer. Why? Because he had an encounter with God. And once you have truly had an encounter with God, there's no other reasonable response but to go, I'll go, I'll go. Where are we going? Tell me where. I'll follow you anywhere. He heard the voice of the Lord. And what is God saying? Man, who's going to go for us? Who shall we send? And I said, I'm here. Can I go? I don't know if any of you have ever been a teacher. There's something about elementary school students. My wife's been an elementary school teacher for 12 years now. And every time I've ever been in the classroom, when she asks a question that students in the classroom have the answer to, it's, it's like their arm is struggling to stay connected to their body. <laughs> oh, oh, like they need two hands. Oh, me, please, me. Whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And I say, can I? Can I? Please, please, pick me. I'll go. I'm here. I'm here. Send me. Send me. Isaiah has an encounter with God. 
we become enthusiastic about going. Why? Why? Because when we have an encounter with God, when we have been revealed and healed and attuned and sent, when that happens for us, there's nothing more exciting than taking those steps into the purposes and plan that God has for our lives. When we have an encounter with God, we're going, I want the growth. I want the movement. I want to go. I want to. You've given me all the ground already. All I have to do is step into it. All I have to do is step into it. All I have to do is go. Church is the temple of God being built up together with living stones. The church is the body of Christ's systems of interdependence that rely on one another. But that building and that body have one purpose in this world. Go! Go! You can stand right here. And you'll still be saved. You'll still go to heaven. But the day will come when we will stand before Christ and he'll go, so what do you do? And you'll go, well, I stood right there. Mm-hmm. And God will go, all right, well, then that's all you get. I don't know about you, but I want to step into the fullness of what God has. I want to step into the fullness of God's plan and purpose for me. And so that means I've got to get used to being uncomfortable. I've got to get used to being inconvenienced. I've got to get used to the unfamiliar. I've got to get used to not being safe. Why? Because that's where Jesus went. And I want to go where he goes.